Adventures in Teaching. Stories of creativity, relationships, excitement, and suspense from the university and K-12 classroom. Brought to you by KELT, the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University. It's a great thrill as a teacher to have a student follow in your footsteps. This episode features a university biologist and a former student who is now a biology instructor herself. They're going to talk about things ranging from duck calls to dissections in Adventures in Biology. If we could talk to the animals, learn their languages, maybe take an animal degree. We'd study elephant and eagle, buffalo and beagle, alligator, guinea pig and flea. We would converse in polar bear and python, and we would curse influent kangaroo. <laughs> if people asked us, can you speak a rhinoceros? We'd say, of course, us. can't you? Welcome to Adventures in Teaching. Today we have as our guests, we have two people involved in the science world, uh, both from uh, School District 73 and from Thompson Rivers University. We have the Dean of Science, Tom Dickinson, and we have an instructor who works in both the school district and the university, Christine Miller. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. It's good to see you, Christine. It's good to see you, Tom. So I thought we would just start off by talking about your initial experiences as a teacher and what your first teaching job was. Well, my first teaching at a university was way back in 1979 when I was still a PhD student and uh, I was the most senior PhD student and the uh, chair of the biology department asked me if I'd come in and teach what was at University of Pennsylvania, the College of General Studies, which uh, allowed uh, people to come to school on the weekends and take the same courses that were being taught during the week. And so um, they, as the senior uh, PhD student, they had me teach three courses that were the equivalent of two Nobel Prize winners and a, and a very famous guy who wrote the textbook in ecology. And so that was very interesting uh, to do, a little intimidating, but the neatest thing was that the class was people coming back to the university, many of them as doctors and lawyers and other people, architects who wanted to get into medical school and other professional schools. And so I had these people who were about the same age as me uh, that I could teach and I could talk about the Beatles and we all recognized the same songs and the music was the same and, and it was just so rewarding that I sort of decided at that point that my uh, most fulfilling adventures in academia were going to be in the teaching area. Interesting. And wh what about you, Christine? Uh, well, my teaching doesn't sound as fancy, but I think I started out teaching piano lessons. So when I was about 12, I started teaching kids in my neighborhood piano lessons. And then I was hired by the Williams Lake City Pool, which is Williams Lakes where I grew up, and I was teaching swimming lessons. And then I just, I don't think I ever stopped teaching, but I did actually get a teaching degree. And then my first um, official teaching job, John knows all about because he's the one who hired me. <laughs> Thank you for that, John. <laughs> You're welcome. So um, I applied to School District 73 in uh, 2007 to be on the TOC list and I was hired onto that um, and John was in my interview panel and then really shortly after that I was hired to teach one day a week a grade 5-6 class at uh, Burt Edwards School of Science and Technology and John was also on my hiring committee for that. <laughs> 
And now you teach at university. I am. So I've, I've slowly shifted over. I feel like I never left TRU. I was here as a student from 2000 to 2006 doing my Bachelor of Science and my Bachelor of Education. And um, then I worked in the research department for a few years and I took a brief hiatus where I was teaching only in the school district, but I, w I came back to TRU teaching as a sessional in our university and employment preparation department. So teaching high school equivalency courses in science and biology. Cool. So I'm really curious to know um, some interesting stories of, 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 of of real adventures uh, in the classroom, and you've both had adventures. And I, Tom, I even look at the the books in your office, and we see all these books by Darwin and, and the the adventures yeah. that Darwin had. Yeah. So tell tell us about an outrageous adventure you had in your classroom. Well, you know, my uh, my idea is that if I if I make um, my teaching fun, and if the students enjoy themselves, they'll remember what I have to uh, say and. And that is something that I hold near and dear in my own philosophy. If, if people enjoy what they're doing and they have fun doing it, they'll remember what happens. And so many of the fun things that I built into all of my courses were field trips. And um, in fact, we developed a whole series of programs up in Wells Gray Park, uh, especially the spring, uh, right after semester ends, to go up for two to three weeks, live in cabins on these little creaky bunks and have everybody <laughs> jammed into smoky um, um, accommodations um, and make it sort of as real to what biologists live in, then they have a heck of a lot of fun. We have campfires every night around the outside. Sometimes it snows in the middle of uh, the, the course and we build little snowmen and everything. But the students that I've taught in those very interesting and rustic conditions unilaterally say it was one of the most transformative things that they've done and that that they can remember all the birds. They may not remember all the specifics but they remember the birds and they remember uh, how do I, I teach them to recognize the birds by their songs and all the silly things like them asking me to whistle a bird song and that sort of stuff. And I can speak to that because I was in Tom's class and in the field, the terrestrial field methods course. So I spent two weeks out at Wells Great Park sleeping in the creaky bunks where everybody snores six feet away from each other. That's right. And it's freezing in the morning and Tom wakes you up at 4 a.m. to go listen to some birds going chubby, chubby, chubby cheeks, chubby yeah, cheeks, yeah, chubby cheeks. Great. See, I still remember. <laughs> Ruby crowned kinglet. She that remembers was, it. Right? <laughs> Yeah. Or one that I love telling my kids is when um, chickadees are saying cheeseburger yep. because owls like to eat them. Yeah, yeah. Cheeseburger. And this is all that I learned from Tom at four in the morning. <laughs> and that was a Great few Park. years ago. That was a so, few. And you still remember it. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be the only thing I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it, as, as Christine says, you know, I would... I would um, try and treat it like if they were my uh, employees as a biologist doing field work in, in terrestrial ecology, what I'd do is I'd wake up at, at four o'clock and start the coffee and then start the porridge and then we'd go in and I'd wake them all up and they'd come out bleary-eyed and they'd have the first breakfast and then we'd go and bird watch for at least two and a half hours and come back and then we'd have our second breakfast and yeah. then we'd go back out and walk around and look at plants 
and then come back and we'd have lunch and then we'd go out again. <laughs> so it was a very full day. We compressed a whole semester's worth of stuff into two weeks. Wow. But, uh, but it was very mem memorable and I enjoy that. And we developed that course so that uh, with that one course we could go from one major in biology to three majors in biology. And so that's why we developed it back in the early 90s. Oh, interesting. And it was great because now we have all the buzzwords for it, like immersive place-based learning, and that was already happening yeah, yeah, in that yeah. course. But again, yeah. the philosophy is hands-on stuff where you're actually getting dirty and you're being a biologist, and then even the point where it didn't matter if you got the right name, as long as you could name it with your own name, yeah. right? Sort of mm -hmm. like being where Darwin went into South America and didn't have an idea what he was looking at, but could come up with a name for something that was unique and then go yeah. back and do the science. It was a really transformative experience, but it wasn't all roses. I still remember Tom trying to get me to take a transcript through a clump of devils. Oh, devils, devil's club. club. Yeah. yeah, that was, it wasn't, it sounds, it's as bad as it sounds. Yeah, so what you have to do is you have to take <laughs> yeah. this tape measure and march your way through and, and you, the deal is you got to go on a straight line no matter what's there. <laughs> no matter what. And so sometimes, you know, Christine hit this little patch and it's called Devil's Club because it has these nasty little spiky things <laughs> on it. And if you get scraped by it, they all get infected. So, you know, it was a risk. But anything for science. Anything for science. There you go. So what about something outrageous for you? Uh, well, I think those outdoor um, intensive immersive experiences really spoke to me. I took Tom um, and at the time it was Tom's and Dave Williams course, Terrestrial Field Methods. And I went on field trips with both Tom Dickinson and Dave Williams and Louis Goslin, who are all instructors at TRU. Dave Williams is Professor Emeritus now. But that really impacted me about being outside and being engaged. And so um, a few years ago teaching at Summit Elementary, I was teaching a grade one, two class, we decided it would be really fun to have outdoor classroom day. So we spend the whole day outside from bell to bell. We eat outside everything. So um, it, and it ended up being fantastic. We invited uh, the grade one class, there was a straight one and a grade two class, a straight two. And because Summit Elementary is in Upper Sahali, um, we first hit up the community garden, um, which is up there. Uh, there's this huge cement pad where there's a city water reservoir underneath. So I was out there at six in the morning with my sidewalk chalk making like hopscotch and math questions and rhymes for the kids so that when we walked by the reservoir they had a solid hour of activities out there with their chalk. And then we walked up to McGowan Park um, which is a beautiful spot. Kids had ate their lunch there and had their playtime there. And then we spent a lot of time um, at Gamble Pond, which is the pond behind there. And I know faculty from TRU still do pond studies out mm -hmm. there, superdy. Um, and so uh, we spent a lot of time looking for signs of life and journaling there. And it was so neat because we got to see a snake, which was very exciting. And we looked at mallards and we talked about boy mallards and girl mm -hmm. mallards. And then we saw some of the birds that I knew what they said because I had Tom as a mm -hmm. teacher. So some, uh, I think yellow-headed blackbirds yep. were there and some red-winged blackbirds and lots of chickadees. And we had such a nice time and I got to use all of this lovely example of how valuable outdoor immersive education is. And I got to, you know, pass that on to my grade one twos. 
And I bet you they still remember it all too. I think so, because it was only two years ago. Wow. <laughs> but I hope they remember it for longer. Well, I'm sure they, they don't remember chubby chubby cheeks. And yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> um, were there any aha moments for you in the classroom, Tom, where you sort of realized that what you were doing was making a big impact on students? You know, it still happens. Um, you know, last year you took my evolution course too, mm -hmm. remember? Yeah. And, and I, last year I prepared a whole lecture in this evolution course. I teach it in three hour blocks so that if we get into a discussion we can keep it going. Um, but I prepared my lecture and then I walked into the classroom and everybody's on a laptop or a, a cell phone. And I said, you know what? You have all the information that you need and I just am providing the framework. So I took this class of about 40 students and I said, this front row, you guys figure out um, what's the incidence of schizophrenia in the, in the world? And you next guys, you guys figure out what does a doctor use to diagnose schizophrenia? And you guys in the back, you, you figure out what genes are involved with schizophrenia. And then I came down to the front and I said, you guys, I'm gonna give you a couple of the genes you're gonna find. You find out what else is involved with the expression of those genes and you guys figure, and so I divided the class up and they could do the whole thing on their own, but they needed to have the questions. The answer to the problem was really quite a neat one. So about any population in the world has about 1% of the people have schizophrenia, that there's a, a somewhere a, a huge range of different symptoms doctors will use to diagnose schizophrenia. You end up with 108 different genes being implicated in it and that uh, when you take a look at it, there's only about a 50% heritability, a great big huge environmental effect. But the genes that are involved with producing uh, that effect actually are also the ones that are involved with creativity and the love of music and the uh, ability to produce art and music. So all the things that make us human are when they come together, 1% um, of the time they create this expression that is what we see as abnormal. So that was a huge uh, thing for me to realize that I don't, as a teacher, have to be the only source of knowledge. But what my experience has given me is the ability to actually frame questions that anybody can answer if they know how to go about it. And so how did you bring them all together back afterwards? So, you had them, you so had I, them I broke the them off and yeah. said, do an hour. And then I, uh, after the hour, we came back and I said, we're going to have a symposium now and it's gonna be a symposium on schizophrenia. So I will introduce the group and they'll tell me the results of what they found out. Oh, neat. And so, you know, I've done that a couple more times since, but, but it really strikes me that the role of a teacher in a classroom is fundamentally changed. And uh, the ability to get people to frame questions and, and understand the theories well enough so that the questions they're framing are really unique sorts of novel questions that's really exciting. Yeah. So a, a questioning is so important. Asking the right questions. Because you have to ask deep questions. Mm -hmm. Questions that are going to be able to take them far into a subject. Where they, that so I analyzed what I had done at my desk yeah. in the afternoon to pull together. And I had the whole lecture sitting there. I had all these answers. But the process of discovery and the process of discovering it they could do exactly what I did because I was sitting on my computer doing the same literature searches that they ended up doing. Interesting. How about you, Christine? Uh, I guess mine's a bit different. Um, I think it's more about like the relational nature of teaching and, and um, it's something that I, 
I got through my elementary ed degree, but has served me really well teaching in a university setting. And I sometimes wondered if I would miss um, filling needs for students. And I guess what I mean by that is in a grade two class, um, you're, you're looking after a vulnerable popula population, right? So um, you're kind of monitoring, okay, is, is anybody hungry and that's why they're <laughs> cranky? Or is anybody tired because that's why they're cranky? Or is someone sad and, and maybe that's why they're cranky? And... Um, and sort of being on top of that and, and being in a really like a servant or caregiver role. And I thought maybe I would miss that when I came to TRU, but then finding that a bunch of the, a bunch of the things I had to be aware of were the same. And so in my class, like I still ask questions like, did you, did you have breakfast this morning? And um, did you go to bed on time last night? And do you need me to call your mom? <laughs> like things like that. And just being there not only for like academic support, but just like, you know, my students cheerleaders and, and helping them along with everything that they're doing. If we consulted with quadrupeds, think what fun we'd have asking over crocodiles for tea. Or maybe lunch with two or three lions, walruses and sea lions. What a lovely place the world would be. We'd learn to speak in antelope and turtle. Let's let's go back to a comment you made earlier, Tom, where you were you were talking about how you really feel that having a class be fun is going to help students remember things. When did that when did that come when did you just realize that? Um, I don't know. I think it was my own experiences. I know when I was engaged in classes, you know, the things are totally, rem I, I could remember all of them. When I became a teacher, I reflected back on what I remembered from my own university education. And it was those occasions where, you know, maybe it was just a, a single moment in a class, but I could identify with the teacher, I could identify with the, what, he, what he or she were saying. And, um, and I, I had a chuckle and a laugh and it was enjoyable and, and the message became in, you know, thoroughly embedded in my brain. And so as I teach, and Christine will attest to this, I'm a storyteller. And so I remember things as stories. And so if I can give somebody a story that they'll remember, I think it fits. Now that's interesting, because I mean, if we, if we look at indigenous ways of knowing and storytelling and how and how knowledge has continued through the millennia in those cultures through oral storytelling traditions it really is evidence that that telling a story is going to stand the test of time yep. it's going to stick with your memory because it gets told it gets retold yep. from from one person to another i'm sure in your brain there's a a place where the context uh holds the next step and the next step and the next step and as you start telling a story for me anyway it just flows mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i'm a lousy joke teller but i can tell <laughs> lots of stories <laughs> tom told me a story in third year of my sciences which was a very long time ago and um, i still tell that story to my biology 60 students it's about moths during the industrial revolution oh yes yep. yeah yeah Interesting. I still remember it. It's yeah. the one I know. And so you're and you're sharing that down the I'm down the sharing it. Every biology sixty student I churn out has that story in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. So have you ever had a lesson that bombed in a spectacular way? I mean, I've, <laughs> in one of the earlier podcasts, I talked about an issue where I I had a big problem with my planning. Uh, Any teacher who says they've 
always had successful classes is lying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know uh, early on in my career, I had to teach a couple courses where, you know, I really wasn't strong as an undergraduate in it. And you stand up at the board or in whatever context <laughs> and your hands turn sweaty. <laughs> right? like, it's one of those one of those responses. It's an autonomic response when one of the different sympathetic or parasympathetic <laughs> systems kicks in, and it's a flight or flight response. And 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 you know, like your hands turn sweaty, and you. But you didn't run out of the classroom. No, I had all stayed? my notes there. But okay. do you think I could make sense of the notes? No, it was. <laughs> It was quite clear that I, I can't remember how I got through it, but I got through it and I think I had to back up and redo most of that lecture after I got home and I realized, okay, it didn't come across. Yeah, and what did you tell the class the next day? I, I was totally honest. I said, you know, I wasn't really comfortable with that. So, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not lying to you, you know, I have this as one of the hardest things I got to learn. So, so I was totally honest and I say I screwed up there, but you know what? The one thing you learn at university is people screw up. Yeah, and that transparency earns you a lot of credibility with the students. Well, I too. hope so. Yeah. How about you, Christine? Uh, I guess more of my bombing in spectacular fashion examples come from from K to twelve. I remember TOCing in a fairly, let's say, active classroom with several students that were full of vigor and character <laughs> and um, it was my second day to seeing in there and, and the teacher had left notes saying do art and I had this great idea that we were going to use paint Ooh. and it was a bad choice <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing you know it was a grade five six class so it should have been fine but uh, next thing you know there's paint everywhere and this person's crying because their hair's in the paint and this person <laughs> is crying because they spilled their paint and this person is crying because <laughs> their painting got wrecked and I'm TOCing in this school. It's the second day I've ever been there and three kids are crying at the same time and, and the entire classroom's covered in paint. So <laughs> I stick to pastels now. Mm. Ooh, even even those <laughs> even those can give me I'd, I'd like the pencil pencil and paper pencil is always paper. good. <laughs> Um, just one other question. So if you were to talk about your experience as an educator and you, you were to finish the phrase, I used to think and now I think, when you're thinking about teaching, what would you say? I used to think I had to have the answers and know all of the things, and now I know that I don't. It's okay. And telling your students, hey, we're going to learn this together is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than having the answers up front. And you know what, that's exactly what I was going to say. The, the humbleness of, uh, you know, the world is a big place and there's a huge amount of information that didn't exist even a year ago when the last time I taught a class, that, that class is a humbling experience and that we're always learning and through the rest of our lives we'll be learning. So, so don't pretend I know everything. Yeah. And uh, that humbling experience is really an important one. Great. Any other comments coming to mind about teaching, generally speaking? Any other stories you might want to share? Dissecting lungs with grade fives? <laughs> oh, yeah, we've had some of those. That was maybe some good successes. So um, I have this traveling road show where I bring hearts and lungs out to elementary schools. And then I do a demo of a heart dissection and then a demo of um, 
lungs inflating, which is pretty fun. And it gets <laughs> students really engaged in STEM, I yep. find, in like elementary levels. Um, but then you also have, um, those are some of the most engaging times, but they're also the, the lessons that can also blow up because there's usually a puker in the room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Time. Well, you go with lungs, come on, that's I pretty know. gross. They're cool. Yeah, they're very cool, but you know. Blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it, my final thoughts are that it is incredibly rewarding when I see some of my former students as teachers. You know, it's, it's one of those things uh, where a bit of you lives on yeah. and in those stories and other things. So to, I don't know what people's spiritual um, um, sort of ideas are, but for me, the fact that I've had an influence on so many different people, and when I see them walk around, and when my kids went to KSS and they had all of my former students as their science teachers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's sort of cool. The fact that, that it's an important career, it's an important profession to pursue, you should do it with all your energy and it has the greatest rewards. Great. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for thank participating you. in the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Biology is really a verb. It's a way of observing and thinking about the natural world. So to have an adventure teaching biology really means creating an adventure for students in biology, whether it's field studies in third and fourth year or field studies in grade one and two. Thanks to Dean of Science, Tom Dickinson from TRU, and biology teacher from School District 73 and TRU, Christine Miller. And squeak and squawk with the animals. And they could squeak and squawk and speak and talk to us. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals involved and not the university. The music in this podcast was Anthony Newley sings the songs from Dr. Doolittle, and the song was Talk to the Animals. This has been Adventures in Teaching. Brought to you by CELT, the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Thompson Rivers University.